0: Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everyone left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with bereavement professionals. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Janet Cristofaro, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Today, we're joined by Suzanne Anderson. Suzanne is the co-author of the book, The Way of the Mysterial Woman, Upgrading How You Live, Love, and Lead. Her work as a writer, speaker, and leadership innovator is dedicated to awakening women to their full potential and urging them to the edge of their own evolution. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank
1: you, Jonna, for inviting me.
0: Suzanne, back in 2012, you were just finishing up the first draft of your book. And I'm imagining that was a time of of excitement, but also mixed with some trepidation. And then in that crossroads moment, your husband died of suicide. And you write about how that experience really tossed you into what you've described as a very dark and difficult abyss. And I'm wondering, looking back at that time now from this place, which we're almost five years later, what really stands out to you?
1: Hmm. Yeah, well, first of all, I think when... When I – probably any of us who have been through tremendous loss that's especially shocking, it doesn't I, – I can't even re- relate to it as being five years, first of all. Everything happens so incredibly quickly, and also it seems to take forever. So I would say my experience of time is fundamentally changed. When, we say, initially after the suicide – and all the things that came, you know, in the in the wake of that. There was only really the capacity to attend to what had to be attended to, because in my situation it was not just the loss of my beloved partner, husband, and but also within a very short period of time needing to sell my our estate, to leave the community I was a part of, um, move from this small island we lived on. There was enormous change at every single level. And I only could really focus on now. And and it, it just was took me till about a year ago to be able to look back, to actually be in the, the seat of the question you were just asking me. Uh, and I started working on my second book, which is about how I have gone through these last few years and how to go through these kinds of dark times as a rite of passage and a transformative fire. So what really stands out, I guess, is um, somehow that I'm still standing, <laughs> you know, and that I'm my life is so f- dramatically different from what it was five years ago. And there was so much uncertainty at many points along the way about what would happen where would I be? How would things unfold? Um so I, I will say I'm probably humbled, grateful, and still very curious about this new life that's opening up in front of me.
0: You said something really interesting in how in the moment, well, I should say, after your husband died, it really threw you into having to be completely in the moment. What happens next? What happens next? And that it was only years later, that you're able to sit in a place of reflecting on what that time was like for yourself?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one thing, as you mentioned, I was just completing this, the, the book, and was ready to send it into the world, find a publisher when David took his life. And the work that I had been doing in the research for over 15 years was really around uh, how to help women really awaken the next level I would say of our of our wholeness um, that brings together all of our feminine and all of our masculine ways of being this is something I, I, I knew something about you know how to go through difficult circumstances how to be in challenging moments and actually show up from this place of grounded presence and a place that is more what you were just saying, you know, in the present moment, more now. I certainly knew this theory because I'd been doing a lot of research, worked with hundreds of women in my programs. Um, and I knew it in experience as well. But the enormous, uh, the, 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 the brutality maybe of, of, of what happened and when there's traumatic loss is that I, I really had to use everything that I knew and everything that I had generated over many years of my own meditation practice and teaching and the the things I knew, to be able to be with what was actually happening. Um, And there is the actual neuroscience of trauma, which has the neocortex kind of go offline anyway. I mean, you don't have a lot of ability when you go through um, this kind of a a loss to think much about the future. And there was no advantage for me to be a nostalgic about the past because there was just so much to actually do in the moment. So <clears throat> I would say that's probably one of the deepest experiences and learnings I have and has something to do with my relationship to time now was to really experience what it is to come all the way in the body to the present moment and be with what is directly in in front of you.
0: Yeah, it almost seems like you're talking about the idea of being fully embodied in and with your grief.
1: 100%.
0: You know, especially
1: for somebody like me, let's say who I've had a very long um, time, spiritual path for many decades. And in some ways, it, it could have been easy to go, what I call up and out you know and and I was grateful for many of the perspectives I had and that came from come from my own spiritual uh, path but actually I think part of why I am standing now you know and and my book did get published and I'm in the world with my work in the way that I am right now is because I was able to come down and in was able to actually be in my my body and with my body, with my heart, with my feelings, but we aren't taught this when we're we're children growing up, or you know we want to get away from our grief or our fear or our anger you know
0: from from anything that feels uncomfortable or unusual
1: exactly from the the discomfort of those feelings and as though they're not supposed to be there, so to really. And I experience waves of grief. I would say grief is more a wave than a particle. You know, it's, it moves on its own terms. And when it moves and when it swells up and would swell up through my heart and body, I, I almost could say I, I let it take me. I learned to let it take me. I learned to honor it as part of the healing process that, you know, and it would come, as you know, I'm sure, you know, especially after the first couple of months in strange ways, you know, some thing would trigger it in a way that you, you know, wouldn't imagine. And then the ability to to have the capacity to be with it. So, this, you know, for me, those strategies were knowing how to ground myself, how to breathe how to not not run from it but actually kind of move toward it as i say again as a healing not as a indulgence and then to have the the limbic support of friends and allies to to be with to hold me while i was letting that wave move through me
0: as you're talking about that It seems such an important distinction that we can hear like, let the grief wave take you, make sure you like immerse yourself and not numb out from it. But to do that without also having a skill set with you and some tools as you maybe go into that grief wave it's how important it is to have that with it whether it's support people or as you mentioned for you grounding practices and breathing and i think sometimes that's what can get missed in the general sense about grief of you know don't avoid it but we also need to teach you some skills to take Absolutely. it into it
1: yeah when it's at this level the losses that that break you open are we're mostly not a, not equipped for and and you know one of the things that's interesting in the parallel between my work and my experience in some sense is that I've used a myth in my, it's in my book and in my work for many years, and it's the uh, Persephone Demeter myth. Do you know that myth?
0: Oh, boy, we're really, we're going back in my elementary education. Is that the (laughs) one where she goes down under, into the underworld? Yeah, very good. There's a pond pomegranate involved
1: exactly so the the myth of very short bones of it is and the re, and I'll, I'll tell you why i use it afterwards but Kore or persephone her name Kore is maiden in greek and she was initially called that was very innocent and out there picking flowers and she was grabbed by by hades of the underworld the earth opens up and she's taken down into the underworld and she resists the experience there completely won't eat anything, won't talk to anybody, won't 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 embrace what's actually there. And eventually all these various things happen, she's been split from her mother Demeter, who's left on the upper world. Um, and eventually Zeus decides that because the the earth is drying up, Demeter was the goddess of the grain, and we better we better liberate Persephone now because the humans aren't Bring us any offerings because there's there's no grain. So he sends a messenger god down to get her. And when she's about to, now she knows she's going to leave, she eats the pomegranate seeds that Hades offers her on her way out. And so she eats these seeds. Well, when she returns, she discovers that, oh my goodness, now that you have done this, you must be six months of the year in the underworld and six months of the year in the upper world. You've just wedded yourself to the underworld. I use this myth because I think this is what we actually as women today need to learn, which is how to come back into the body and into the wisdom of the body. The eating of the pomegranate seeds in a way is a symbol of taking in the fruits of the unconscious, the fruits of our feelings, and, and honor those cycles when we need to be close and to ourselves. And, and I think and we aren't prepared mostly for this, for being with the kinds of losses that are part of our world today, because we don't know how to do that. Uh, and in some ways it's interesting, or I don't know, archetypal that I was teaching this for so many years, and taking women down into Hades, you know, in my depth programs. And and then I got called myself to go to a whole level I never imagined that I could survive, honestly.
0: Right, like not realizing you were going to be taking this master's level education in real life world and exactly. in, in your own personal life. When it comes to families who have experienced a suicide death, it seems like the two components of shame – and stigma can really hinder that ability of to be embodied in grief. And I'm curious how those two pieces, shame and stigma were a part of your experience or not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, As I'm a psychologist, so I know something about, I knew something about this, let's say clinically, but I was stunned by the depth of the shame swamp, I want to call it that, that, surround suicide. And both my my husband, uh, and in fact, I think I think many people who who take themselves out of life have in some way also not been able to deal with their own shame. In the case of my husband, he had terrible tinnitus, ringing in the ears, going really really bad for several months, and not able to sleep at night and if you know about tinnitus, it's a little bit like just having a constant screeching sound in your head that, that there is no cure for at the moment. But on top of that, what occurred when it ultimately all came down was that his business, which was separate from mine, he had his own business, was about to come tumbling down. I think his own shame, and I have some sense of this also because he, he did write a letter before he left, was in the mix here right his own shame of i cannot stay and face what i've done and then there is the toxic shame around all of those that are connected to one who does this in my case you know me and his family and good friends and how could we not have known and even the shame for me of i'm a teacher working with women in leadership i'm a teaching women how to be more whole and how could I have a husband who would take his life. And all of those things, I think from the very beginning I knew I needed to tend to this and that I was not going to go in that swamp. Like it really is like there's a sucking force that wants to take you in. And I would be, it had everything to do with my own ability to stay uh, grounded in my own presence and also to, in a way, because I could do that and I could look people in the eye. I I wasn't hiding that it was a suicide. Uh, I was direct about what it was. It was my, it was my husband's choice, not mine. I, I think that is very it 's a very difficult phase stage, especially initially to to make sure you don 't tip into the swamp and I had very good friends with me and and community and family that really helped hold that circle and One of the ways I did it, which I, I just add, is I work in my own programs and myself with with ritual, and uh, we set up very soon after he died on our property. Uh, we had a, a kind of temple building that my husband had actually brought over from Indonesia. And I, we set up an altar with, you know, like a memorial space for him so that people, because he, we were very well known on the island we live on and and in the city nearby, that people could come and leave an offering, uh, leave a poem, just come and meditate, just come and be in their own grief around his loss, you know, rather than hiding it all is what I'm trying to say. We actually kind of opened the door.
0: Which can be so different than a lot of people's experience when they've had someone in their life die of suicide, and there's maybe an urge to contain that story or keep it secret or change it in some way.
1: One thing I will say that happened for me was just enormous respect for however anyone wants to go through something as horrific as this that everyone does the best they can in the situation, and I could imagine for some people, you know, might have, they wouldn't want to do it the way I did it, but that that's definitely what worked for me.
0: And so much of that seems to be influenced by how the people around them are responding as well. So if you have a supportive community who can talk openly about suicide without having a lot of negative judgments towards the family yeah. or towards the person who died, I can imagine that would be a more supportive environment for being open.
1: Absolutely. I would mean, a, a blessing in that sense, I will say, too. In one way, I think this kind of traumatic loss, well, it's, it's so shattering of so much of the ego. It's so messy.
0: It's like an earthquake to everything that you were.
1: Yeah, I actually call it a, an earthquake, a tsunami and and literally after the earthquake the tsunami came in and it took everything in my life i mean everything that mattered to me really at the in the outer form was gone within 6 months including my my business which i had at the time i reduced that down to me i at every single level it was like everything getting wiped off of the table and needing to start over again but but what did not which was fascinating for me it's fascinating now at the time it was more a miracle was that some deep core sense of myself and myself in a as part of a beautiful world remained that i was going to be okay that some that Things were going to unfold. I couldn't see it yet, but a sense that I I was not alone. And in fact, uh, that was just, that's probably partly my spiritual belief, but also my community, the people that I'd been, you know, I was a teacher of many women and they all came around me and all of my family. And that's essential because I think when you're shattered like that, you need the circles that hold you that are whole or even a best friend or even one person if you're not in a, in a, in a situation where you've got larger support that can hold you and um, let you fall apart.
0: And to sort of maintain the, the outer boundary. You know, I imagine people, whether it's one person or a community of people coming together to hold that boundary so that the person who's grieving can disintegrate in a sense or come apart in some way, knowing that people yeah. are going to keep it from falling off the edge.
1: It's the boundary, but it's also the, I want to say, the resonant memory
0: of wholeness. You know, that's what I mean. I mean. Like a reflection back of. Right. Yeah. That you are still a whole person, even though it feels like everything's been shattered.
1: That's right that's right and that they there is a wholeness they're holding you know you don't feel it in those that time you are literally falling apart and you have to fall apart if you're going to fall together again let's say you're going to reemerge like the phoenix out of the ashes later you have to have you know there is the falling apart to try to hold yourself together i think is is much much harder
0: it takes way too much way too much energy to do that
1: yeah but you know sometimes you don't have a choice so if you don't have that again that that having a field of um, family and friends who can really hold that place for you for as long as it takes
0: it sort of circles back to that idea that we started with around how time can be such a different concept when you're grieving like it can feel like five minutes it can feel like five thousand years
1: Absolutely. And, and often it feels like both. I mean, that's, right. the thing that's so freaky.
0: And you're like, I'm as exhausted as I would be after 5000 years, but I'm as shocked as I would be after five minutes.
1: Exactly. Well said.
0: You know, Suzanne, as we come to the end of our time together in this conversation, you've mentioned a couple of different ways that you sort of went into this process, connecting to your emotions, trying to be embodied with it. Are there one or two other suggestions you might have for listeners out there who are going through their own grief and maybe struggling with how to stay connected to themselves.
1: You know, first of all, I I think such a core place to start is self-compassion. It's something I teach in my work. I taught for years, but I don't think I ever really knew what that was until, I mean, cellularly know what that was until I I went through it. I did because it's like the ability to be kind to ourselves and gentle with ourselves, our, with our humanity. I think that's a core and key thing is the, the turn toward the self. And then the other thing, I, I suppose, when there's that saying, like, what doesn't break you makes you stronger, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it should rather be something like, it's what breaks you. You know, if it breaks you, it makes you stronger. It was like, for me, I really broke open, not only, of course, my own heart, but in some ways into the world. Like I, I have so much more compassion for, for all beings now than I did. There's something so poignant about letting oneself, I think, be be opened, our hearts really be, be broken open. You know, what I can say at this point, five years out, is I am standing, as I, I, I've said already, I am in, or let me say, I am creating my new world. It is still unfolding. But this wound is with me. It won't. In my experience, and we'll see as it continues. But I don't. I think it's it's almost like a it's a tender place inside of me that will always be that there probably, and that actually now is the source also of my creativity. Is the source of my some of my the thing the way I am in the world, the way I work in the world, and it's like the offerings um, that come from loss and the grief that go with them often come later. And I guess I'm just standing out here later saying, be tender with yourself as you're going through this, because there will be, there is the possibility that this dark night is preparing you for a way of being in the world that you've yet to imagine. And um, it won't be what it was, but it will be something.
0: I really appreciate that idea of being tender with yourself so that you are better able to carry the tenderness of the grief with you and to maybe turn to that tenderness as a source of inspiration or creativity or creating how you want to be in the world. Right. And and speaking of standing here almost five years later and in your work and in the world, I will link to your website and to your book in our show notes, but are there other ways that people can reach out to connect with you or other things they should be on the lookout has work coming from you?
1: Well, my website is Mysterialwoman.com and people can find, find me there. I have also a Facebook group, Mysterial woman, Mysterial is M Y S T E R I A L. And that's a place where we're in conversations about what does it mean for women today to be, showing up in these ways that bring much more of our authenticity into our doing. So that's a really rich place for conversation. Um, and on my website, you'll find links to the programs that I offer and the ways that I work with women. That's in, And the book itself is actually for any woman who is in a time of having their lives shaken up, having lost, gone through enormous loss. This is a great guidebook, really. And I have a lot of practices in it. It's not the book where I'm writing about my own experience of loss. That's the one I'm working on now. But um, a lot of the practices are in, are really applicable.
0: Great. Well, I look forward to myself exploring more of that. And I, I love that there's a Facebook group for for the tenders to come together and, and share with one another. Mm-hmm. Well, Suzanne, I appreciate you taking time today to talk with us and share maybe a more personal piece of your story than perhaps you're usually talking about.
1: No, yeah, thank you, John. It's actually quite refreshing to You're right, this isn't my normal topic and and yet it's it's a topic that's very dear to my heart and I really appreciate the opportunity to to share some of my experience with you and your listeners.
0: Well, thank you again. And thank you everyone out there for tuning in today. If you'd like to listen to any of our past Grief Out Loud episodes, you can find us on our website, d-o-u-g-y dot o-r-g, or in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or any other platform you might use. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time.
1: Thanks for listening.